0: Good morning, church. This morning we are reading from the Word, uh, Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 to 6. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning. I just lost a few years off of my left ear, I think. <laughs> Shout loudly. Talk. Yes, okay. Something like okay, anyway. Uh, You can hear me, yes? Yes? It's coming through? Okay, very good, very good, very good. Okay, we're continuing on our sermon series, what I wanted to say in the beginning, uh, called Following the Patterns of Jesus. And as we learn what it means to dive into the spiritual disciplines of our faith, what does it look like to live out our faith and to be more like Jesus. And I shared last week as I kicked kicked us off of this sermon series, that this uh, month is about talking about the importance of spiritual disciplines, and then the rest of the year, we're going to take each month uh, to break uh, to to really uh, live out the different disciplines uh, that we have. Beginning with Sabbath, and then going to prayer and fasting and solitude, and then going through the rest of the year exploring some more different themes of spiritual discipline this, uh, of spiritual disciplines. Because it's so important for us to take a pause in our lives to live out our faith and to be rejuvenated, and to live out and to be reconnected. Uh, with God. We, we're going to be using a resource called Practicing the Way. Uh, there's a book that comes alongside of that, but every single week, uh, you can log on to an online forum where not only after some teaching, uh, there'll be some teaching and some more also uh, other resources for you to listen to, like podcasts and other readings and, and whatnot, uh, but also there'll be uh, other, uh, other forums for you to engage uh, and challenge you. So for example, uh, next month in February, when we talk about Sabbath, each week there will actually be some practical challenges for you be like, hey this is a way maybe you want to practice Sabbath and maybe you want to take that on so every week every Sunday we're going to preach on a certain topic of Sabbath for example for February and after the topic we'll spend you know usually we have 47 four to seven minutes of corporate prayer or something like that well we're going to take some of that time to discuss with each other hey how is it going for you this week and if you weren't able to participate the week before you you weren't able to make it to the Sunday before. That's okay because the conversations, uh, you'll be able, the questions, you will be able to join into them uh, as well. So that's going to be a rhythm for the rest of the year. That you're going to listen to a talk, you're going to uh, engage in some dialogue with each other And the rest of the week, and to practice it. And then we're going to come back again as Jesus people, and we're going to discuss it some more, listen some more, and try to live out our faith uh, together. And the goal is so that we can become more uh, like. Uh, Jesus in our faith and in, in our everyday, everyday walk. So today, uh, it is a more general kind of a conver- a conversation and topic again of why spiritual disciplines are so important. And we're talking about the importance of guarding our time, guarding our time, guarding our heart, guarding our boundaries and intentionality it takes for us to do that. Uh, this week, I spent a bit of time reading this, uh, these are just things I do, all right? So, uh, this reading uh, into a, an academic article uh, from the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology on the importance of rest, and the topic was called the Forgotten Session, Advancing Research and Practice Concerning the Psychology of Rest in Athletes. Fascinating read. If you've got some time, this is 24 pages, so you can read through it, single-spaced. I uh, can read through it, uh, so just to see some of the findings, but it's fascinating Right? It talks about the importance of rest. We talk a lot about in, in athletic endeavors, the importance of training and whatnot, but this article dives into the importance of resting, both physically and of our mind. talks about like people like Brett Favre, the Hall of Fame uh, quarterback, uh, how for him, he actually spent a lot of his time escaping from his games, actually escaping from his schedule and, and hiding out, in his words, in his home in Mississippi. Or you think about... British skeleton racer, Lizzie Yarnold. Uh, For those of you that don't know, you're on this little board, uh, going down a mountain at 130 kilometers an hour headfirst and experiencing 5 G's of force. I don't know why anyone would want to do that, but uh, double Olympic uh, medalist, uh, um, uh, Yeezy, uh, she won in Sochi in 2014, and she does something that's unheard of, in, 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 uh, according to Olympians, because you only have four years to train for the next event. She actually took two years off. She won gold, and right away, she's like, you know what? I need to take time off. To, in her words, she need to time to refresh, to take stock, and to come back more motivated, and she came back in 2018 to win and become a double Olympic gold medalist. So, unheard of, unheard of. And then some of the things and the findings, I'm not going to go through the details of it, was fascinating that, was like, what if we got to, uh, in order to become more and to grow, what if we thought about recovery and their training competitions that doesn't just involve physical, uh, recovering physically, but also recovering psychologically? Or also, how recovering psychologically, what does that look like? Well, it depends in part on your engagement and high-quality sleep, how many of you got seven hours or more last week and uh, last night last week i hope you got more than seven hours of sleep on all week <laughs> but last week and uh, last night you got more than seven hours high quality sleep and also wakeful resting well what's wakeful resting high quality wakeful rest- resting involves taking specific resting experiences such as not thinking about uh about just the sport in this example or psychologically uh, detaching altogether from that sport uh, in their own thinking that in your everyday life, you're not just sleeping and, you know, getting massages and physically (laughs) uh, recovering, but just taking your mind off of uh, what you do in the everyday, um, whether it's work or school uh, or the rest rhythms of life. It seems, according to this research in sports, and I think it's the same for us in our spiritual lives, it seems that success is not found in how hard you work and how hard you train, but also how hard you rest. That there's a connection here. And maybe there's an idea here. Sounds biblical. I think in the spiritual disciplines, that's what's really all about. That in the spiritual disciplines, in the rhythms that we build up in life, these are moments where we rest. It doesn't have to be uh, uh, going to the other side of the world and finding some very holy monastery uh, to take uh, a month at a time of silent retreat, Maybe. Uh, maybe that's what God's calling you to do in opening up. I recommend it. But no, every single day, you could have these little holy moments if we press into uh, these little spiritual rhythms that God uh, calls us into, which we'll talk about a little bit more throughout this, this year. The big idea from the text this morning is if we want to grow spiritually, we will need to protect what is valuable and life-giving to us. That For our faith, if it's important and your connection and relationship to Jesus is important, we'll need to do what we need to do to protect that time and to do what we need to do in order to experience a um, life-giving life uh, that God gives us through the practices. It's not the pursuit of the practice itself, but it's the person behind the practices that we get to live life a little bit more. I've been floored by this book recently called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Warren Uh, Tish Warren Harrison, and I recommend it to you, but she writes this in her book. We have everyday habits, formative practices that constitute daily liturgies. By reaching out for my smartphone every morning, I've developed a ritual that trained me toward a certain end, entertainment and stimulation via technology. Regardless of my professed worldview or or particular Christian subculture, my unexamined daily habit was shaping me into a worshiper of glowing screens. examining examining my daily liturgy as a liturgy, as something that both revealed and shaped what I love and worship, allowed me to realize that my daily practices were malforming me, making me less alive, less human, less able to give and receive love throughout my day. And changing this ritual allowed me to form a new repetitive and contemplative habit that pointed me towards a different way of being in the world. Whether you understand the word liturgy, which is really just practices and rhythms, uh, whether you feel like you have liturgies or not, the argument here, and I believe that's what uh, Tish Harrison Warren argues for, and much of the biblical narrative argues for, is that whether you believe there's a pattern or a liturgy that you succumb to, there actually is one. And we actually don't realize it unless we take time to pause and to reflect and to step out, because in the, words, uh, in, the word, uh, in the words of some great theologians in the past, like Eugene Peterson, uh, culture is the waters that we swim in. And unless we are deliberate in reflection of what it is that we swim in, we don't know what our culture is, what the rhythms that we have in. And we just kind of get swept away by the rhythms and the cultures of our time. But Jesus, in much of his Teaching offered us as his followers an invitation to guard their hearts and minds by what? By separating ourselves from the crowd. Jesus offered an invitation to his followers to guard themselves by separating from the crowd, from the ways that people are doing things in the world. In Mark 6 30 to 32, we read this The apostles gathered around Jesus. The apostles gathered around Jesus uh, and reported uh, to him. And reported to him uh, all they had done and taught. Then because, uh, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary uh, place. So they went away uh, by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now if you know the narrative, if you read this section of text before, you know that the, the people found out where they were going. And this, this, uh, this little lake was uh, big enough for them to run around. Uh, so they <laughs> went and took a boat. And Jesus had a little bit of time to teach some lessons uh, on the lake. But people found the ways around the lake and waited for Jesus and his disciples on the other side. Well, here, what Jesus was teaching his disciples, like, it's possible, it seems like, in the everyday, in the busyness, when there's so many things going on, when there's so many needs, when there's so many people, so many demands, that it, it is possible... To guard your boundaries. It is possible to guard your space. It is possible to separate yourselves in the little moment of that day away from the demands of that time. As Pastor Vance Harvner once said, if you don't come apart and rest, you will come apart. If you don't come apart and rest with Jesus, you will come apart. And here... Jesus is teaching his disciples that exact fact that it is possible to step away. And maybe for some of you, you're like, spiritual disciplines are great. I talked about last week how we have an allergy to the word discipline, and we add the word spiritual in front of it, you know, I've lost you all together. You're like, ooh, that's something really holy and out there. But even our understanding of discipline and connecting with God, that our beginnings of our understanding is this separation. That in our everyday, whether you're in your work, in your school, in the classroom, you're walking back and forth in your office or you're in your home, in your backyard with your kids as they're screaming. And I talked about last week throwing spaghetti in your face again and you're cleaning up the floor again. In those little moments, it's possible to have a little bit of separation. And that's in those little moments of separation, no matter, no matter how big or how small, that growth actually happens, that like God is doing something to you. Did you know that in the human body there's some 650 muscles and you're looking at your own body, you're like, Doug, I have more. I'm like, no. like All humans or uh, more I, I have the same uh, anatomy, 650 or so muscles uh, that hold us all, all together. Uh, I read another article this week that talked about muscle growth. And this is about when it is the muscles actually grow. And according to John Aleva in his article, How Do Muscles Grow? The Science of Muscle Growth, he says this. After you work out, your body repairs or replaces damaged muscle fibers through a cellular process where it fuses muscle fibers together to form a new muscle, protein strands, or myofibrils. These repaired myofibrils increase in thickness and number to create muscle hypertrophy growth. Uh, Muscle growth occurs whenever the rate of muscle protein synthesis is greater than the rate of muscle protein breakdown. Okay, this is what I actually want to focus on. This adaptation, however, does not happen while you actually lift the weights. Instead, it occurs while you rest. Fascinating. Muscle growth is I'm pumping iron, you know, in the gym or doing the exercise, whatever it is that you're doing, you're thinking I'm building muscle in that time. Yes, you're actually breaking the muscle apart at that time. The growth that actually occurs is actually in the resting. Yes, we gotta work. Yes, we gotta put in the effort, but the growth that we're looking for, and want to argue here spiritually, is also in the resting phase. That maybe some of us keep pushing and pushing, and pushing, doing more and more and more, and we don't rest guilty as charged, but it's actually in the resting, in those moments, in the quietness, when we come before God, that we actually experience the growth that we need. But how many of us actually take the moments to pause, and I'm using the word spiritual discipline here, how many of us take the moment to uh, encounter God through disciplines, in the everyday where we can have a bit of quietness? Maybe some of us don't because it makes us anxious and have a bit of a reflection for you here. What makes you anxious about being alone with God? Maybe you're worried about your own thoughts and what's going to creep in. Maybe you're worried about all the things you got to do, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Maybe you're like, what do I do with myself? And maybe that's kind of the point. What did the disciples do when they're venturing off on that lake? They're just with Jesus. Like, should I row? You know, should I do something? Like, pass an oar. I feel like I should be contributing here (laughs) or something. It's like, no, just be. The winds are taking us, and we're just going to sail. They're just staring at each other in a circle. (laughs) Just be. But what makes you anxious about being with God? But it's in those little quiet moments that God meets us. You see, in Psalm 23, where Anthony read for us, the psalmist, David, he writes about God offering and leading his people to this restful place, this safe space, this restorative place. He doesn't lead us to a place of doom, a place uh, of self-condemnation and, and pity and, and, and self-loathing. No, he leads us to this place of rest, of joy, of goodness. And we read this in Psalm 23, I want to focus in for us in Psalm 23, verses 2 to 3, we see that God leads us to a sort of place, a boundary, right? We talk about separation, but what does he lead us to? He leads us to this boundary. We're out to guard. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but this boundary where thriving in life happens. In Psalm 23, 1, 2, 3, we read this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along a- along the right path for his namesake. He guides me along the right path for his namesake, or in other translations for his reputation. What is his reputation? Is a God that loves. He's a God that gives peace. He's a God that gives joy. He's a, He's a God that, that when he is present, that all things are going to be okay. That is his reputation. That is what he is known for. Though he is all-powerful, all-consuming, he spoke to all, on all, cre- all things in creation came into being. Is also this peaceful God, this God where we can experience his love, joy, love, and hope. And this is where he leads us to. That's the boundary in which he calls us into. Psalm 23 is also what's known as the confidence, a psalm of confidence, the confidence psalm. It's not confidence in David who wrote it in himself. David wrote it in full confidence that this is who God is. This is God, he wrote it in full confidence in God's care for him that even though this might not be what he's experiencing in that very moment as his enemies are chasing him down, he's writing this in full confidence that this is what God promises him, that this is who God's, God is. And this promise, it's not a one-time invitation, not a one-time promise, a one-time invitation to God's people. It's a continual one. It's one that seeks you as a believer all your life for the rest of your life, right? As the rest of the psalm goes, that every single moment that we're able to experience God's peace and in presence, I love that. It's not just a one-time invitation, but it's a continual one. As Pastor Peter, uh, not Petre, uh, Peter <laughs> Jeffrey uh, wrote, a Psalm twenty-three is preeminently a psalm of privilege. It speaks throughout of what God does for His people. David is not praying in the psalm. He is not asking God to do something for him. Rather, he's rejoicing, rejoicing in what the Lord has done and continues to do in his life. It's a psalm of confidence. It's a fact that this is who God is. And maybe, church, that's what you need to hear this morning. That's what you need to demand of your soul this morning. This is who God is. In the rockiness of your life right now, in the moments of ups and downs, in the questions you're asking in your mind, in the doubts, in the rockiness of your life, you need to call this and demand this and prophesy over your own soul this morning that this is who God is. But yet we get wrapped up in the world and we forget that because we, 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 we don't set, we, we don't have moments where we get to experience God in these low boundaries that he invites us into, that he calls us into. Because what has God done, if I go back to this this passage, he's done a lot. Even his first three uh, verses of Psalm 23, I lack nothing. He's provided in all ways, in all things. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This, this, I'm a little bit allergic to grass, but I'm assuming there God knows my needs <laughs> and everything's going to be okay. It's green pastures with perfectly lush grass. Have you ever seen like a perfectly, uh, like perfectly mowed, luscious green lawn? right? In Vancouver, you walk by, you're like, man, this person really cares about their lawn, but there's something beautiful about that. This beautiful, or a meadow that's just like flowing in the wind. You walk by, there's this calmness to it, or quiet waters. I love what a commentary said about quiet waters. It's uh, quiet waters, literally, it's waters that are quiet. Uh, The literal translation, waters that are uh, slowly moving, actually. It's like a brook. It's not the rushing uh, torrents of a river that, 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 um, that rushes you away, but it's also not uh, that, that pushes you away, but it's also not the stagnancy of like a, a little pond. You know, you've seen like um, water that's still not moving. You're like, oh, you know, there's something growing in there. Like, I shouldn't go in there at all. No, there's some flow, some movement that's going on, That that's kind of the imagery that we get here. That's where God leads us to, and it's refreshing, right? When you encounter God, you leave from this space of worship on a Sunday, or from prayer or from, or from reading the word, or from a good time of fellowshipping and, 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 and with other believers, this is refreshment. When you hear our word from the Lord, it's enough to power you for the rest of your life, rest of the year, rest of your day. that refreshes you and always. And He guides you. He guides you, he only has good things for you it's the right path meaning there are wrong paths that we could walk on but god he guides you along the right one this morning in community learning we talked about how often according to how we see the world god's ways are unorthodox no matter how unorthodox it may seem it's the right way because god knows all things he sees all things What setting would you select if you could pick the perfect spot to be alone with God this season of life? Kind of painted a little picture there. Is it kind of a place where maybe it's of abundance? you feel like you're lacking in something and God's providing? Or maybe you feel like your life is just very chaotic and you actually need those still waters, those calm, quiet, flowing waters in that green pasture. Is that kind of the setting that you're need uh, that you're needing, or is it maybe you feel lost and disoriented in the picture that a perfect spot that you need to be in? It's like uh, God's uh, guiding you. He's saying, "Hey, this is the right path you need to lead. Uh, need, need to walk upon." What is it? What image pops into your mind? Because God is speaking right now, not as you only hear my voice, but in your own heart, He's working in you through the power of the Spirit. What is He revealing to you? What kind of image is He bringing? to your mind. Because maybe, even there as we're letting that image sit a little bit, maybe some of these spaces is where God is calling you to guard. And that's how he's speaking to you. That's how he's working in your life. That you're like, hey, in that little quiet moment, that five seconds that you had, what if we had bits and pieces of that every single day? And you deliberately built that in. That's for boundaries, for guarding our hearts. The Apostle Paul had a lot to talk about that. In the chaos of the Roman Empire, living out in that, of, of, uh, of going around preaching to churches and trying to grow churches that are being persecuted uh, for, for, for their faith, the Apostle Paul wrote about how this peace is possible in your hearts, how this guarding of your, your heart and your mind is possible, especially as write he uh, writes in the book of Philippians. How the guarding of your heart, he writes in Philippians that it's not a easy kind of guarding. It's actually rigorous. It's difficult. It's tough. It doesn't just happen. It's a rigorous kind of protecting. You need to be deliberate about it because it's too easy just to be like, hey, I'm going to go out in life and God's going to speak to me. You know, I'm going to keep walking until God stops me kind of thing. He's like, well, I'm stopping you, but I'm kind of ignoring him because I haven't built in space to listen uh, to his voice. But in Philippians 4, 47, we we read this. In Philippians 4, uh, 47, we read this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, falling apart here. <laughs> you guard your hearts and minds in Christ, Christ Jesus. Highlight that, underline that. We'll guard your heart. This word for guarding, it's not an easy kind of guarding. It's not just you know stand there nonchalantly, uh, kind of guarding. No, it's to protect with a military guard. It's a military uh, kind of word. It's to prevent from hostile invasion. To, uh, to preserve one from being captured. So there's this active kind of stance here. That if you want to thrive in your faith, we're going to need to guard our hearts. We're going to need to guard our time. We need to guard our boundaries in life. It doesn't just happen. There needs to be a deliberateness that goes on. You're going to need to set these boundaries. And it's not about using your own strength. It's actually about intentionality, being intentional with your time, just taking, uh, taking a bit to pause and to take stock of our lives and be like, okay, this is what's going on right now. To the best of my ability, see yourself clearly and be like this is what's happening to be honest before God because there's nothing we can hide from him anyway. <laughs> he actually sees it. But most of the time, for me anyway, it's actually do I realize it. And I pray to God and God's like, I know. I know that about you. I've been trying to draw that to your attention, and you've been ignoring me. It's like okay, God, I get it, okay. But it's in those moments where you gotta pause and to hear and to to seek, seek God. To take those little bits of time is this rigorous kind of protecting of our faith that this guarding isn't just going to happen. In her book, uh, written uh, in Adele Alberg Calhoun's book, *Spiritual Discipline Handbook*, there's a handbook for everything. Uh, You can there's one for spiritual discipline. She writes this: Historically, one way Christians preserved in, uh, in the battle was to regularly retreat from the front lines of attack and spend solitary time with God. Times of retreat brought perspective to the mind while strengthening and nourishing the soul. Without retreat, followers of Jesus uh, tired and became ineffective in the struggle. They needed to be alone with God and apart from others if they wanted to re-engage uh, the battle on different grounds. That again, there's a separateness. There's this boundary. There's this guarding. Throughout all of church history, that there's a separateness that our God that we follow, he's a holy God, a God that is set apart. And for us as his people, we ought to be set apart. And we need to find these little moments to to plan in, these little moments in our day to to seek God and to see him. Not really for God's benefit. It's not like when we have coffee with God, he's like, I'm I'm adding to his life, (laughs) you know, in that sense. I'm telling him things that he didn't know. He's like, wow, I'm learning so much. No, i he's like, no, he's like, I'm actually here for you. It's for my benefit, when I spend time with God, there's this growing, there's this peacefulness, there's this longing and, and this enjoyment, there's this repos- uh, uh, repositioning of my life, that I see life uh, in the perspective that God would have me see him again. So what could you do about the concerns you might feel while you're alone with God, or in other words... If you feel like in your times of alone, uh, let me re- rephrase that. In those times where you feel like uh, you, need, you want to be alone with God, in those times, what if you feel like you're neglecting something else to be with God? What can you actually do to alleviate those concerns? Because I found that when I asked, started asking that question, a lot of it just really became excuses, right? Just excuses. I'm like, well, there's this I need to do. There's that I need to do. And God's like, well, I'll take care of that for you. I'll take care of this for you. I might have shared this story before, and, and, and Pastor Howard shared about Panama missions before. And this is not prescriptive, meaning you should do this for every, every situation, but it was my situation where I was like, God, I really want to go serve you in this missions trip, but I'm, I have a final exam to write, so I can't go. And God's like, well, I'm calling you to go. I'm like, well... Okay, then you're going to have to do your part. <laughs> God, uh, you're going to have to do your part because there's a final exam I got to write. I don't know what I need to do. So I was talking to some of trusted mentors of mine. It's like, well, is there really nothing you can do? It's like, well, I guess I could talk to the professor. It's like, ah, it's like you know, he's not going to let me. It's a final exam. It's a bio, that's a written exam. It's a lab exam. They're going to set it up for me, right? Like there's no way you're going to do it. Well, I just ask, see what happens. So I went to my professor. And I'm like, hey, I want to go on this mission trip. I didn't say it in that way. I said, I just say, hey, hey, say, doc- hey, doctor, you know, I really want to go uh, go on this trip with my church uh, on missions and all of that. And then I'm like, oh, am I able to um, write it when I come back? And he was like, okay, no other explanation, nothing. I was like, okay, just write it uh, when else is convenient? When do you come back? And you can write it when you come back. I'm like, all right. I was expecting this huge explanation, this huge uh, way of, like, uh, 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 of uh, explaining myself, but there was none of that. He was like, okay, go, and all right, so I went. And that was the beginning of my calling into full-time ministry. That's kind of the rest of the story. But often we make excuses and we fall short of seeing what God will do. I'm not using that story as a prescription again, but I use that as an example of teaching in my own faith of how often I cut God short of what he can do. Not because of what actually he can do, but I cut it short. Because I didn't have faith or I didn't follow the path in which he was leading me towards. So we all have excuses. Time is short. We all have the same amount of time. We're all busy, yes. But what would it look like to carve out a little bit of time in your calendar? what would it look like to reorientate our relationships and our friendships and the people that we hang out with? Maybe there's someone you're like, I really need to take them out for coffee. I really need to ask them this question. I really need to see how they live out their faith and just carve out that little bit of time. Maybe it's a little bit of habits that you're going to start. People ask me, it's like, hey, how, what what the what, what training for the marathon look like for you when I ran it a couple of years ago? It actually started with putting on... Running shoes. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? I actually started off by having a pair of running shoes and leaving at the front door. And so every morning before I left, I saw those shoes. I'm like, right, I'm supposed to run today. <laughs> the starting, this is a reminder. Some of us, uh, and one of our leaders also talked about this, right? About the Bible app, reading scripture. And she talked about how uh, this reorientating her apps Right? You have your favorite space where your social media is on your app, right? where your Instagram is, where your Twitter is, where your Facebook is, or not Twitter, X, I don't know what you call it anymore. Whatever it is, whatever your favorite app is. And she was like, actually, once in a while, I kind of switch it up. Uh, where Instagram is, I put on the Bible app, and you want to press it. Oh, you pressed it. This is out of habit. You're like, I'm reading the Bible now. Like, you know, oh, what have I done? You know, <laughs> kind of, right? So kind of reorientating some kind of habits that help you To thrive, Because it's not about doing more. It's actually about being closer with Jesus and doing what it takes. It sounds hokey. It sounds silly to put my running shoes in front of the door. But that's what I needed to do. To remind myself, that's the next step I need to take. Don't think from zero to a thousand. What is the next little small thing you got to do? What is the next little small thing you got to do? Because Jesus is worth it. That excuse... Maybe, I want to argue, is that the enemy is trying to come into, you, come into your life and say, hey, you can't do it. You can't get closer to God. Like, you're a failure. You're down and out. God doesn't want you. You can't get closer to him. You missed church last week. You know, th- what's another week? You didn't read the Bible yesterday or this morning. You know what? What's another, what's another day? And it's a slow tumble. A slow tumble. A, s- a slow fade away. But Jesus... In his life, he demonstrated to us, he didn't leave any excuses. Out of anyone, he could have had an excuse. And not even excuses, reasons to not be on that cross. But on the cross, he had greater reasons for the sake of humanity, for for, uh, for, for that love of humanity to save you and to save me. He was saying, I will endure the cross, scorning its shame, so that we can have this new life in him. Jesus didn't have any, use any excuses. And he said, for your sake, I will live out this life. And I have moments where I'm praying. I'm like, God, I can't do it. He's like, yes, you're weak, and you can't, but it's through me. It's through me. That's what I'm teaching you. It's through me in these disciplines, in these restful moments, that your muscle, muscles are just going to grow in the body that I gave you. That's just how it works. You didn't design that. You didn't do any of that. It's just how it works, how I created the world into being. Moments of conviction where I come before God with all the excuses and Jesus comes back at me with the cross and I'm like, okay, I guess I don't really have one that's greater than you on the cross. (laughs) So you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to show up. You're going to have to help me with my time. You're going to have to help me with my energy. And it's in those little rhythms, in those little moments where we can give, give, God gives us back so much more. So much more than what we can ever give him. I shared this before in some of our classes that sometimes when we come to the word and we read it, we're like, I have no idea what I just read. It doesn't make any sense to me. Or sometimes when I'm praying, you don't feel like praying and you don't hear anything from God. Or sometimes you go to fellowship, you go to your 3 one group, you go to a church gathering, you come out to Sunday service, you're like, I got nothing out of that at all. Or maybe you join into communion and you took the bread and you took the cup and you're like, that's just another day. I didn't experience God at all. But even in those moments where we don't experience God at all, He is still sustaining us. That He is still working, He is still moving. That somehow, some way, moment after moment, we get to feast upon God Himself and He sustains us. In those moments. And Tish Warren Harrison, she uses an example in her book talking about that, how... We find like our faith with so much we do, and we don't feel like we're growing. We don't feel like we're doing anything. Well, I didn't feel like my body was growing, well, like, except the childhood pains into my bones. Uh, that's when I knew I was growing. But often, we don't feel like our bodies are growing, or we don't do anything. So there's an underlying process that's going on, but that's very similar to our faith. Just like how, in the moments, we feel like we ate our leftovers throughout this week. There's nothing fresh, nothing good. You ate leftover after leftover, and that's not comparison for the Word of God or the spiritual life, but somehow, some way, we are where we are today because that fruit sustained us, whether we experienced it or not. And that is how it is with God and with spiritual disciplines. In those little moments, God sustains us and grows us. But are we doing what we can in guarding our time, guarding our heart, and guarding our boundaries? I want to end with this picture, not Trudeau, that's not what I want to focus on, no matter your political stance. My French teacher, by the way, in high school, story for another time. Once I bumped into him, yes, true, when he was prime minister, and I don't think the detail was doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, Because I was studying J.J. Bean with my headphones on, all of a sudden I'm surrounded by all these men and women in suits, and I'm like, what's going on here? I'm like, oh, whatever, I kept working on my paper, and then I got up, time to leave, so I walk out, and then right beside me, the guy, the, one of the security, like, whoa, 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 you can't walk here. I'm like, well, I'm here now, and then Prime Minister Trudeau walks right by. I'm like, you should, probably should have stopped me, because uh, if I was actually someone bad, <laughs> before I got into it, because I'm like arm distance, like within, with, within, within him, right? Uh, I wanna think about it in that way, not, that's a negative example, uh, but a way of guarding our faith. <laughs> In the way that the world dignitaries and the prime ministers and the presidents, how they have this detail around them, 24 hour, when they're sleeping, there's someone at the door. When they're waking and they're walking back and forth, there's someone at the door. I want us to have that image with our spiritual faith. Do we guard it in that same way? Or do we just wander around and we let Things just slip in, in into our lives. And before we know it, we're way further away from God than we thought because, once it's because of one big thing, but it's a bunch of little things. So, what is one thing you could do this week? One small thing you could do? How are you guarding your time, your heart, and your boundaries? How are you guarding what's most important to you, which I hope is your faith and your relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that though we fall and we fail a thousand times, you pick us up a thousand and one. God, you are there for us. And that our faith, Lord, is not one of striving. It's not one of of pursuing. It's not one where we need to, God, uh, do anything for you, but it's really for our benefit. So God, I pray this week That you help us to hear your gentle voice, not a voice of condemnation, not a voice of we've got to try harder and do more, but a voice that says, come. Come to me where the waters are still and quiet waters, green pastures, a place of refreshing. I pray that this week, Lord, we'll find moments where we can encounter you and to see you and to know you. So thank you, Lord, that you pursue us in the everyday and that you want to grow us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.